0: Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Rev. Joel Smith. from first Peter as we continue to make our way through this glorious epistle written by the Apostle Peter and we'll begin reading in chapter 4 and verse 7 this morning. The end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Eighty years ago last month, October 30, 1938, radio music programming was interrupted with this breaking news. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. Over the next several hour or so, there were several more interruptions of breaking news and it became abundantly clear that the United States was under attack from Martians. There were several news reports and eyewitnesses that were describing the attack, complete with ray guns and poison gas and evacuations and a U.S. military counterattack. Well, as you know and can imagine... It wasn't a real attack, but it was rather Orson Welles' radio adaptation of the science fiction thriller War of the Worlds. But it was conveyed as if it was real. And perhaps this is the origination of fake news as we know it today. As a result of this, radio program, there were many that believed that we were under attack. There was newspaper stories that claimed mass hysteria, suicides, heart attacks, and audiences fleeing homes in fear of Martian hordes. And there is a debate today about how much hysteria it actually caused. Most believed it to be what it was, and that was a Halloween drama. But it raises a good question, doesn't it? What would you do if you heard such a report? Perhaps not about Martians, I believe you would know that that's not true, but a report of the end of the world as we know it. Would you panic? Would you fear? Or would you be ready and prepared? Is there anything that you would do different? Now, these aren't just hypothetical questions. Our passage this morning says that the end of all is at hand. And we know from the scriptures that the earth will not continue on as we know it. That the world will come to an end. Now, we don't know when that end would come. We do not predict that end as some foolishly Do But we know, nevertheless, the end is truly coming. So in the light of that, what do we do? Well, you might be surprised at Peter's answer this morning. It's the opposite of what supposedly many did when they heard that news report in 1938. Peter says that we should not panic or fear at all. Rather... We should continue on with what the Lord has called us to do, to love God and to love one another. And so we'll look at that in two points this morning, the end times outlook, and then second, the end times obligation. First, the end times outlook. I would say in the last half century or so, there's been a renewed interest and zeal, perhaps not in our circles, but in the broader church as a whole, of end times teaching. I believe this began in the 70s with the late great Planet Earth, if you remember that book, or perhaps if you don't remember that book in specifically, or if that was before your time, you no doubt remember the very popular Left Behind series, both books and movies. Whereas these books are interesting reads, I wouldn't point them To you, or for you to go to them to form your eschatology, your end times view. These are rather fictional books and should be seen as such. But in addition to this, we've seen several others that have come out with a whole host of crazy end times teaching. Nearly every cult, it seems like, has a strange end times view, from Joseph Smith and the Latter day Saints to. Jim Jones and the People's Temple to David Koresh and the Branch Davidians and many more who we would recognize as false teachers, all with aberrant end times views. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because even Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 when the disciples came to him and asked, when will these things occur, meaning when are the end times going to take place? Jesus' very first words out of his mouth were, see that no one leads you astray, knowing that many would come to do exactly that with that which is yet to come. And so we're not to have radical views of the end times, and we should look at those that do with skepticism and expose such false teaching. But at the same time, we shouldn't go to the other extreme. And I think oftentimes we do, that we have this sense of hesitancy to speak on such a subject as this, because there is so much speculation, and as a result, so much controversy, that as a result, we tend to shy away from such teaching. So as we begin this morning, let me say we should never shy away from the Word of God. As much as Scripture talks about any subject, we should talk about it as well and believe in it and remain as biblical and scriptural as we can be. I always am reminded of Calvin's governing principle of Scripture, and I think it applies well here when he said we need to go as far as Scripture goes, and we also need to stop where Scripture stops and not go into vain and endless. Speculations. If you do that, you will remain on solid ground even with your end times view. Now, will we know everything? No. Will we know exactly what will happen and when? Absolutely not. But that doesn't mean that we do not know anything at all. And the main scriptural principle that we must keep abundantly clear. Is this, and this is exactly what Peter says, as well as the rest of the apostles, and we read it there, the very first words in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Now you might read that and think, Really? It's at hand? It's coming near? It's soon? Peter wrote that almost two thousand years ago. Can you really say that it's at hand, Peter, that it's at coming near, that it is imminent. And in fact, many detractors of scripture have pointed to scriptures like this and say, well, look, here we are 2,000 years ago. Is he still coming? Where is he? We're still waiting. And they use scriptures like this to mock and scoff. And as a result, even Many Christians and commentators have tried to soften a scripture such as this and say that, well, Peter means by the end, the end of the Jewish era that came with the destruction of the temple at 70 AD, or perhaps he's telling his readers that their end is near, that their physical death is coming soon. All these things might be true in general. I do not believe that is what Peter is saying here. I think when he says the end, he means the end, the end of time. And I think the context bears it out. If you remember last week, we saw that Peter is exhorting his readers as well as us that since we have a new identity in Christ, that will put us at conflict with the world. And as he says in in verse four, they don't understand that, especially when you used to do these things, and now you don't do these things anymore. In fact, it says that they will mock and deride you. But notice what he says in verse 5. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so clearly the end, the judgment, is on Peter's mind. And so it would be a stretch to say just two verses later that he's talking about some other incident That would happen in 70 AD. No, he's talking about the end. And so how can we justify this statement? Well, the Bible very clearly teaches that we are living in the last times, the end times. And what do I mean by that? Well, with the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, we are not waiting for any other revelatory events. In fact, the only next thing that we are waiting for is his return, is his second coming to the earth. And yes, the scripture talks about the signs of the times, the wars and rumors of wars and the opposition and hostility. And as a result, many have speculated, what are these things? What is the mark of the beast? Who are the two witnesses Is it Russia or China that is the the beast that is talked about in Revelation and a whole host of other things? But let me remind you that before we go down this rabbit trail, let us not miss the obvious that Jesus is indeed coming back again. And that is what we are waiting for. And that may be near or that may be far Away, And I don't know which, but nevertheless, the expectancy of his return must never leave us. This is what the Bible clearly lays out for all believers. Listen to what Paul says in Titus 2 verse 13. We are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the apostles talk about the revelation, the coming, the appearing of the Lord, that it must be constantly on our hearts and on our minds, that there should be an anticipation for the end and a readiness for it. And if the Lord comes back today or tomorrow, or if he tarries for a hundred or even a thousand or several thousand years, That, in a sense, is no trouble for us. It does not bother us at all. And why does it not bother us? Because we are ready. We are ready today. We'll be ready tomorrow. Or if that comes much longer, we'll be ready then. If the Lord allows us to have 80, 90, 100 years Before he comes back or we go to him, it does not matter because we are ready in the sight of God. That we are ready to see our Lord. Either by him coming to us or us going to see him. And that is why Peter gives this exhortation, the end of all things is at hand. And he goes on to say, therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. There should be no fear. There should be no trouble in our soul. There should be no freak-out or panic moments. Why? Because we are right with God. And therefore, in control of our minds, in control of our bodies. I notice this. He says that we are to be self-controlled and sobered for the sake of our prayers. We appear before God every day, do we not? Spiritually speaking, in our prayers. Therefore, it's no trouble to appear before him physically one day. What we do spiritually every day is what we will do one day physically. Just as we come to God now in prayer, so we will see him face to face. And so that is how you prepare for the end times is by going to the Lord daily in your prayers. That is the in-time outlook that we are to have. And if you're going to the Lord and you're right with the Lord in your prayers, then you will be right with the Lord on that last day, whenever that may come. But let me ask you this morning, if I told you Jesus was coming back today, or if your life was going to end today, what would be your response? How do you feel about that? Because I think the right response would be okay. That you would be alright with that. And if that is not alright with you, if you are uneasy with that thought, then I ask you this morning, why is that? Not to say that, There aren't things that we would miss if our life was to end today or the end of the world was to come. Or that there isn't things that we would still like to accomplish. Of course, there are and is. But there ought to be no fear. We ought to always be ready. And so this morning, if there is fear, if there is that uneasiness, then I would send you to the Lord Jesus Christ, even in prayer now, that you would work that out, that you would be made right with God, that you would confess your sins and repent of your ways, or that you would make your life ready so that you would be prepared, so that you could think of that thought with no fear, with no anxiety, with no worry at all mentioned to you a few weeks ago that I was visiting with our good brother, former elder, Don Wilkes, who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And when he was diagnosed, the doctors told him that he would have 90 days to live. Well, that 90 days have come and gone and Don is still with us, which demonstrates that the doctors don't always know. But as I was visiting with him, he very clearly said, I I may die today or the Lord may give me several more months. But his response was, "Eh, whatever. The Lord could take me home now. Or if he wants to give me a little bit more, that's fine. And it wasn't an indifference. It was a calm. It was a peace that only a true child of God could have. And you might say, well, yeah, our brother Don, he's, he's had a good run. He's 70 or 80 years old. Now I would tell you that's the Christian attitude, whatever your age. And I hope that I can sit at your deathbed one day, or or yours at or or you at mine, and that each and every one of us would, would have that same spirit. Would have that attitude towards death. Yes, there rightly might be a fear of dying. I think all of us have that fear. But there should be no fear of death itself, because even death in Christ is a greater gateway to life itself. And so the end of all things truly is at hand. And that leads us second to the second point. What is the end times obligation that we have? If we're not to panic, if we're not to freak out, if we're not to fear, what should we be doing? Should we be putting together our bucket list? Should we try to be figuring out all those crazy things that we wanted to do that we haven't been able to do? Like the song, skydiving, rocky mountain climbing, 2.7 on a bull named Fu Manchu, right? You know the song. No, none of those things. That's not what Peter says here, is it? No, he goes on to say that the end is in sight. Don't do these crazy things. Rather, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He goes on to say in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Notice that. Above all else. Your chief obligation is to love. And that is the chief obligation in the Christian life, is it not? Not to be self-indulgent, not to spend your last days fulfilling self, but rather to serve others, to love God and love one another. If you have 80 years left in the tank or only one day, our obligation never changes And that obligation is to love. Jesus is that they will know you are my disciples by your love. And there's never an expiration on that commandment, is there? Because that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated to us, was it not? In his final moments, in his final hours. We read this in John 13, verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Notice that. When he knew that his time was coming to the end, it says that he used those final moments to love them to the very end. And he demonstrated that by washing the feet of his disciples. And that was a small demonstration of the greater demonstration of his love that he would show in mere hours from them by giving of his life for all of his disciples for the sake of the elect. In fact, John says in his epistle, and this is love, or this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. John goes on to say, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so do you see that these verses are connected together. As he says, the end is at hand. Therefore, above all, keep loving. And we're not to run around yelling that the sky is falling or to make strange and weird predictions about the future or to map out colorful charts, that is not our end times view. Nor our end times view is to love and love. And when we see the end coming, love even more, love even deeper and more deeply. And so as an end times people... As an end times church. What are we called to? We're called to love. As a covenant community of believers. The command is for us to love. Love both within this wall as well as without. Through the love that is given to us. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as Peter says there. Since love covers a multitude of sin. I know that we can have problems and difficulties with one another. We can hurt and injure and sin against each other. If someone has sinned against you, go to them and be reconciled. Love them. If you have sinned against them, go to them and love them. Love covers a multitude of sin. Why is it that we are to love? Because we are the chief recipients of love. When we understand that we are the chief of sinners and that yet God loved us and gave his son for us, then how can we not love one another? What excuse can we give for not extending that love to all? And as, again, John says, we don't love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We're not to give lip service to our love, but rather we are to demonstrate our love. And Peter goes on here to give some practical examples of it. Verse nine show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says, Don't just meet in the house of God together, don't just worship together, meet in homes, in house to house, by inviting one another over. And that's exactly how you extend hospitality. You say, so-and-so, we'd love for you to come over Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever it works for you, and then have them over. That's the extent of hospitality. You can make it as, as formal or informal as you want. You can serve food or you cannot. That's not the point. The point is hospitality, fellowship, loving one another. Getting to know each other. The church of Jesus Christ was built through hospitality and extended through it. Last Saturday night, the women of our church had a wonderful event over at the Milberger's house. And to a lady that was there, I heard things of, it was wonderful, it was great, it was so needed. We need more of that. Not less. And that happens through us loving one another, opening up our homes, serving each other. Peter goes on. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a stewards of God's varied grace. He's saying that as a part of the body of Christ, you've been given a gift. You've been given a talent That's you're to steward that talent. You're to use that gift. And those gifts, as it says, is varied because it comes as God's varied grace. But nevertheless, we're to be prudent users of it, no matter what your gifts may be. He goes on to say in verse 11, if it's to speak, then speak the oracles of God. If it's to serve others, then serve with the strength that God supplies. Paul gives a fuller treatment of this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says that some gifts will be more visible than others. But he says no matter how visible it is, they're all important. They're all to be used. Everyone playing their part in the body of Christ. As we've recently seen in our purpose statement that we are to know Christ, we're to grow together as the body of Christ, and we're to show forth the love of Christ. And we say that collectively, that we're doing it together, not just individually, not just individually doing those things, but collectively as a part of the body of Christ. That's what God is doing through us. And that's what this passage is saying, that you love one another by using your gifts as a part of this church. And those gifts will be as distinct as each and every one of you are. And so let me ask again this morning, how are you using your gifts? How are you loving one another through your acts of service, through your spiritual gifts and giftedness? How are you serving from everything to the nursery to our community? How is it that you're encouraging? How is it that you're teaching and helping and Opening up your home and the list can go on and on. But the point is this use your gifts. That's how we prepare for the end times. That's how you have end times preparation. You want to be an end times prepper? (laughs) Don't collect a bunch of food and a bunch of water and and build a bunker. No, Peter is saying open up your home and, and serve, use and be used. For the gospel that's how we love one another and prepare for the end and why is it that we love the church why is it that we serve the church how is it and why is it that we want others to come and be a part of this church it's because it's these people that you're sitting around that you're going to be spending eternity with and so how do we prepare for eternity well we prepare by loving and serving them here and now And I know that's not a radical in times view. That's not going to sell books, is it? It's not going to be a best seller. But it's the truth. And so I'll end with this. You've probably seen those signs. Keep calm and then gives a whole host of endings. Keep calm and dance. Keep calm and drink coffee. Keep calm and uh, eat chocolate. Keep calm and mind the gap. It goes on and on. Well, I think Peter would say to us, as the end times draw near, keep calm and carry on. Carry on with what the Lord has called you to do. As Christians, as believers, as he's called you to the Christian life, and no matter what may come tomorrow, continue to carry on In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus ascended into heaven and as the disciples stood there gazing up, two angels came and said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the angels were basically saying, you don't have to worry. He's going to come back. But don't just continue to stand there. Get on with it. Get on with what the Lord has called you to do. And that's exactly what they did. They went on to love and serve the church. Yet never forgetting that he who went up is the same who's going to come down one day. And so in other words, they had one eye at the t- on the task at hand. And another eye on always and continually looking up for the return of the Lord. I would say that we're called to do the same, to have that same spirit, to have that same attitude. And we do so as it ends, in order that everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Indeed, the end of all is at hand. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you even now through prayer with that eager anticipation that we shall see you as you are one day, that we shall gaze upon you face to face. And Lord, what a glorious day that would truly be. Until then, O Lord, we pray that you would gird us up, that you would strengthen us, that you'd bear us up, O Lord, so that we would continue to serve and love as you have called us to, that we would love the saints here below. For we know that these saints below will be the same saints that are above one day. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us in this Christian life to use our gifts, to use our talents, to use our home and our resources those things that you've given to us all for your glory and praise we ask for your praise in Christ amen